Good morning. Uh, We're reading from Hosea chapter 6, verses 4 through (laughs) 6. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Okay, what do you guys remember about the Ten Commandments? There are ten of them. That's right. Now, I'm not talking about uh, the commandments, I'm talking about the movie. Charlton Heston, Cecil B. DeMille movie, 1956. You know, there are a lot of uh, fun, fun little, little facts if you go down that rabbit hole uh, about that, that movie. What do, you guys, what do you guys remember about that movie? They took you out of school to go see it? That's great. Yeah. You remember, I, one, of my, one of my favorite... Uh, things there are some some facts about it, like uh, did you know they had to use sixteen miles of cloth for all the different costumes that they had in that movie? Charlton Heston said he went through about nine different beards uh, at various stages of Moses. Um, Yul Brenner had that incredible line that uh, gets used in my house it It was when I was a kid, and it gets used today. You remember, you know the one I'm talking about, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's right, that's right. If you argue in my house, uh, you might be, be told that same line. That movie, when it came out, was one of Paramount's top grossing films, a movie about the Ten Commandments uh, that, that we read about in Exodus 20, because people were, were fascinated by the story of Scripture. People were, uh, they, they were familiar with the stories of Scripture. Um, and it was a great movie. <clears throat> but the Ten Commandments are not quite so popular today, are they? Because they have things in them like, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. That's not so popular in a pluralistic society. Um, things like, make no idols, honor your father and mother, uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, right? Th- things like that are not as popular today. I want to suggest, though, perhaps the most unpopular commandment is the one that we read about in Exodus 20, beginning in verse 9. You can turn there in your Bibles, if you like. Exodus 20 beginning in verse 9. I'm going to suggest this is the most unpopular commandment and probably one of the most misunderstood. Exodus 20, actually let's begin in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Now, we're going to talk more about Sabbath and all that uh, when we begin our series on Genesis that we're starting next week. But I, I want us to look at this one today, and we're going to look at it in the New Testament. Now, before you check out and, and before you, you know, flip that switch or go to the bathroom and don't come back, this is not a sermon saying, go to church more and get in there. I'm, I'm not pulling out the roll and checking you off today because you're here. But the fact that I have to say that shows just how misunderstood this is. And so today, we're actually going to look in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with some of the religious leaders of his day over exactly this commandment. But before we read this passage, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you be with us today? Holy Spirit, would you continue to teach us with your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, which we read earlier in Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. This is God's word. So we already read in Exodus 20, we read the basis of the Pharisees' objection. The the Pharisees are looking at this commandment, do no work, and then they're looking at what Jesus' disciples are doing, and they're saying, look, they're working. They're breaking this commandment. Now, at first glance, it actually seems like it might be valid. It is valid. A commandment. And I apologize, I need to pop another cough drop. I got sick and, and now I've got a party favor, so uh, this cough is going to be around for a while. Uh, thank you for, for bearing with me. So here, uh, the, the, the Pharisees are looking and they're saying, these guys are out there, they're, they're working, they're breaking this commandment, and it is a commandment. We need to be very clear about that. The Lord did command on the seventh day, do no work. You need to rest. You need to to do what God did for you on the seventh day. 
But the idea of the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is not a day for chasing the bottom line. The, the, the Sabbath is not a day to try and get ahead while everyone else takes the day off. No, the, the language in the commandment, the language that, the, that we heard is that it is a Sabbath. It's a day of rest, a day when I have to trust God. If you're a farmer and you're not out there working on a Sunday, you're trusting, Lord, I trust what you're doing with the crops just like many of the farmers in this society would have done. It's a day of trust, trusting in God. And it is a Sabbath to the Lord. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. It is a day of rest for the Lord. A day of remembering the Lord. A day of of worshiping the Lord. But the Pharisees hear this commandment, and these Pharisees at least, they hear, don't work. And what do they do with it? Well, they, they ask a logical question and they say, well, what does the Torah mean by work? And they begin to tease that out. And they begin to ask questions like, well, can I go down the stairs on a Sunday? Or for them, it would have been Saturday. For us, it's Sunday because Christ rose on Sunday. Can, can I go down the stairs on the Sabbath? Sure, you can go down the stairs on the Sabbath. Can I go up the stairs on the Sabbath? No, feels a little bit like work to me. Well, how far can I walk on the Sabbath? Can I walk one mile? Yeah, you could walk a mile. Can I walk a mile and a half? Ah, getting a little far, right? And they begin to play this out, and they begin to go into the minutia of what work might be, and they get to such a, such a finely detailed level that the disciples of Jesus are walking through the field. Have you ever done this? They pluck off a little head of grain, they roll it in their hands, and then they start to eat. And they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just harvest grain? Did you just thresh it in your hands? That's work. You broke the law. You shouldn't do that. And Jesus, in his response... He begins to go through some other examples, and he begins to show them, and we're not going to dig into these examples, but what he's doing is he's showing that the Pharisees are missing something. He talks about David and some bread that he ate from the temple. He talks about the priests who are in the temple working on the Sabbath, and basically what Jesus is doing is he's, as they accuse his disciples, he's saying, if you want to accuse them then you better be ready to accuse David and the priests. And he, and he kind of puts them in that, that position of having to think again about what they're doing. And he has essentially the effect of saying, then why are you condemning my disciples? Now we know what it is they missed because Jesus says in verse 5, have you not read in the law, or verse 6, he says, I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees are missing something. The Pharisees are missing the Lord of the Sabbath. They're missing it completely. Their approach Their approach to the Sabbath commandment is, what can I do to keep God happy? What can I do to keep him from getting upset? 
What, what do I have to not do to keep him happy? And, and, and then they want to tell everybody that, so everybody has to listen to them. If they knew the Lord of the Sabbath, though, what are some things they would have known? If they knew the Lord of the Sabbath, they would have known how loved they are. They would have known how treasured they are. They, they would say, instead of approaching that commandment, saying, um, what do I have to do or not do to, to keep you uh, from getting upset? They would approach it saying, how can I show the Lord of the Sabbath that I love him? And then a command like, keep, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. That, that becomes an expression of love and of gratitude, and they begin to be able to contextualize the commandment the way that Jesus has. It'd be kind of like a, like a child, you know, when your kids are, uh, you know, at an age where they might be crossing the street, you tell them what? Look both ways before you cross the street. Now, if that child does not know you, if they don't know you very well, and they don't trust you, and they don't know that you have love for them, if, if you operate in that relationship on a workspace, on this kid better earn my love, better earn my respect, you better earn what you get in this house. Well, guess what that kid's going to do? They're probably going to do one of two things. Either they're going to rebel, and they're going to be like, I don't need to look both ways, and they're just going to do that. Or they might go the complete opposite direction and become hypervigilant. Well, I don't want to make him angry, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to look left, I'm going to look right, I'm going to look up, I'm going to look back, and, and then I'm going to keep doing it while I'm crossing the street. And they become hypervigilant. And, and they don't just do that in the city, they do it when they're out in the country. And then they do it when they're out in the mountains on an abandoned road. They still, well, it's a road, I better look. I don't want him to hear about it and get upset and, and, and think I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And they can become hypervigilant. Why? Because they don't know the Father. They don't, they don't trust them. They don't trust their love for them. But if you have a child who does trust, who knows, this command is because they love me. They want to keep me safe. They want what's best for me. Well, then what are they going to do? They're going to look both ways before they cross the street. But not in the country. Not on a dirt road where there's nobody else around for 15 miles. They can contextualize that command because they know the heart of the parent who gave it. And so someone who can contextualize this command of remember the Sabbath and keep it holy would be like a single mom who is working on Sundays to help pull her family out of the pit. You see, that's what, that's what goes on, is Jesus, then can, they confront him again, and they're trying to trap him, and they bring this guy with a withered hand, and, and they say, if he heals him, then he's worked on the Sabbath. But if he doesn't heal them, then everything that he just said before is invalid. They're trying to make themselves the lords of the Sabbath. They don't trust. They want to decide. They want to decide what's work or not. They want to decide what's worship or not. They want to decide what's important and what's not. And then they become hypervigilant with it so that they don't make God angry. Well, Jesus responds to that, that man with the withered hand, and he just says, if this was something that you valued, would you do it? Would, would you be a little more flexible 
with the way you have defined work, if this was, if this was a matter of doing good, if it was something that, that you cared about that fell into a pit, would you pull it out of there whether you consider that work or not? I mean, what would you do if your wallet dropped down in a drain? You get it out. And Jesus says, well, what about my sheep? How do you think I'm going to respond to them? And then he sa- it says in verse 13, He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. Why? Because it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is challenging them on this point. Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Is it the Pharisees and all their rules and all their things and everything that they've decided that that has to happen and has to be just so? Or is it Jesus? What about us? Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Here's how I know when it's me, right? I have a little bit of a different role on Sunday mornings, so it looks a little different for me. But here's how I know when when I have made myself the Lord of the Sabbath. If I don't feel like my sermon was like spot on, just right, and then I'm thinking about it all day for the rest of the day, right? Or, or uh, if I'm looking through the bulletin and, and I put a typo in there and I didn't catch it, oh man, typos, oh, they get me, right? Um, if, if I look out here and I'm, and I'm thinking, wait, now where's so-and-so? What about, did, well, did I do something? Well, how did I, but what if, what if and, and how can I get them here, right? Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? That's how I know. That's how I know that I have started to make myself the Lord of the Sabbath, of of, everything needs to go my way. Everything needs to go according to the plan. Everything needs to be just right. And I leave here, instead of thinking, oh my goodness, how great is this God? I leave here thinking, I should have done this. Should have done that. Oh, I should have said this other thing. And why didn't I say that? That's how I know. How might you know? How might you know if, if you are making yourself the Lord of the Sabbath? Maybe you're out and you've been out and you haven't been to church in a while or online or whatever, and you see someone from the church, and your immediate reaction is you feel guilty. Who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Is this about guilt? No. Um, what if... What if someone brings coffee in here, even though there's a tiny little sign that says, hey, would you leave your coffee outside, right? And someone brings coffee in and they spill it. Do you get frustrated because it went on our beautiful carpet or on, the, or on the, 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 the pew cushions here? Or do you say, oh my gosh, let me go get some towels. Let me help you clean it up. Maybe you do both. Maybe you're frustrated and helping clean up. That's good. That's a step in the right direction. How do you know if you're the Lord of the Sabbath? What if the kids are too loud? Oh, man, what if the kids are too loud? What if somebody comes in wearing a T-shirt and shorts on a Sunday morning? Oh, man. Oh, man. What about hats? Hats in church? I know a guy who wore a hat in church one time. It wasn't here. It was somewhere else. He wore a hat. In church, it was actually kind of one of those, you know, beanies, and he had it on, and, and the person behind him reached over and tapped him on the shoulder. You need to take your hat off. And he kind of said, oh, I, 
I don't think you want me to do that. And then they tapped on him again. No, you need to take your hat off. This is the house of God. And he says, okay. Pulls his hat off, and there's the big, ugly, nasty scar from his brain surgery. And they said, you can put the hat back on. (laughs) Right? Who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Who is the Lord of the Sabbath? When Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Things look different, don't they? When we are the Lord of the Sabbath, it's got to be our things, our way, everything just so. But when Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, what happens? It's what we see in Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God. It is all about Him. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about me. The Sabbath is all about Jesus, the point of the Sabbath is to know the Lord of the Sabbath. That's that's why we worship. That's why we want biblical preaching. That's why we want this community here together where we know each other and we know what's going on. It's so that all of these things can point to Jesus. And there is one very simple reason, and that is because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the best music, and we have fantastic music. Jesus is better. If they all got sick and they couldn't be here next week and it was just me and all I knew how to do is say, okay, we're going to sing Jesus Loves Me, guess what? Guess what? Jesus is better than the, the, the best music. He's best, better than the poorest music. Jesus is better than, than all of the things and everything that we try. And Jesus actually went on and showed it. In verse 14, it says, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him to destroy him. But guess what? Look at what it says next. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And then many followed him. And it says this, and he began to heal them. And it says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Listen to these beautiful words. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. He won't break a bruised reed. If you're a bruised reed, he won't break you. A smoldering wick, he will not quench. If you're barely hanging on, he's not going to be the one to come put you out. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all the things. This passage, it means he won't put you down for what you eat, what you wear, what you make, the way you talk, your education, or the lack, for getting back into worship, for being gone for a while, for having a hard day, a sad day, an angry day, or a numb day. Jesus is not going to put you down for that. And here's the thing about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about pointing to that man. The Sabbath is all about getting to know that man. Because the more you get to know Jesus, don't you want to know him more? Don't you want to worship him more? When you see how incredible he is, don't you just want to be near that man? That's what the Sabbath is all about. I love the way another pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt put it. He said, Jesus is better than any strategy. He is more faithful than your promises. He is more able to bring real, lasting, heart-level change. He is the greatest missionary ever. Jesus is better. 
He's better than you. He's better than your small group. He's better than your pastor. Amen. He is better than anyone or anything else. We all need what? The better Savior. We all need to just, you know, get, get that service rolling. Get it, get it on time. We all need to make sure we are there every week. We all need to make sure, whatever it is. No. We all need the better Savior. Jesus is that Savior, for He did better than us, He does better than us, and He will make everything better than we ever could. So the question of the Sabbath is this. Who is the Lord of your Sabbath? Who is the Lord of your Sabbath? Is your Sunday about guilt or earning, or is it about my preference or my music or my way of doing things, or did I say the right thing? Or is Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath? When Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, whether you are here, somewhere else, big church, little church, home church, or just home, Sabbath becomes a day of rest in the Lord, trusting in His great love for us and saying, today, Jesus, I want to see you more clearly than I did the day before. So, we are here today to to honor the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, and we are here for Jesus. And this is His church, we are His people, this is His day, and we are worshiping Him. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, Him and Him alone, and in His name we put our hope. Let's pray.